If you have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with us to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 this morning. As we come to the Word of God this morning, I wanted to share with you uh, just just some thoughts. Uh, this morning as I, I awoke and uh, drew near to the heart of God as preparing for uh, this time this morning, I was reminded uh, just about how much God loves us. I was reminded about how great our God is and how, how He cares so much about us that He wants to draw us close so that He can share with us His heart and His mind and so that we can know how He wants us to live. And I know as we've been walking through uh, Jesus talking with his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, I'm reminded that what Jesus did at this time is, is he knew the end was coming and he wanted to prepare his disciples for what was to come, so he drew them close. And it's almost as though I had in my mind this morning a picture of Jesus almost like taking his head to the head of his disciples and his hands on their shoulders and just saying, my brothers, this is what is going to happen so that you may be prepared so that you'll know what is to come. And and then I had the overwhelming sense this morning of, of like God doing that to me. Like God is saying through his word, like be prepared. I love you. I desire to be in a deep relationship with you. And I'm not a God that's far off, but I'm a God that is near. And so this morning as we come to the word of God, let us imagine in our mind, regardless of what life you've come from, maybe you've come from a week that has been crazy or you've come from a week that's just been kind of just dull or maybe you come from a week that has just been very, very hard. I, I pray this morning, as we draw near to the word of God, that we truly would allow God to draw near to us. And that we would allow our ears to hear his words, speaking words of truth, words of love, words of correction over us, so that we may leave this place today changed. I'm glad you're here today because we are uh, in the midst of a sermon series where we've been walking through Matthew chapter 24 and 25 as we've been looking at Jesus' own words at what the end is going to look like and how can we be prepared. And so in Matthew chapter 25, we're, we're kind of transitioning because he's already answered the question, when is the end going to come? What is it going to look like? And he said it can come at any moment, but now he switches to being prepared. And he, that's the rest of our time and this week and, and next week. Uh, we're going to just try to answer that question. How is it that we are to be prepared for Jesus' coming and his second coming again? Now, how many of you guys remember back when Y2K happened? You guys remember Y2K? Like, raise your hand. Some of the little ones might not be there. But you remember Y2K? Now, Y2K, if you're, if you're young and you don't remember, Y2K was this computer thing that was going on because computers were programmed only to be able to read two digits. So that in, it is regarding Regarded to the year, it was always 19, and they always just had the, the, uh, the two years after that, 1987, 1989, or whatever it was. But then when the millennium was going to happen, when we were going to go from 1999 to 2000, they thought, the, the great um, computer programmers of the world thought that computers were going to be confused because they couldn't compute 2000 because it just wasn't part of their programming. So there was this thought or this, this idea out there that the world was going to come to an end, that because computers were going to crash, they were going to be confused, that you weren't going to be able to bank, you weren't going to be able to go to the grocery store and buy food because everything's based on computers now and computers were going to go crazy. And so people feared the worst. They feared that the society was going to collapse. And so what we see as people preparing for Y2K, what they began to do was stop stockpile provisions. 
I don't know if you were a part of this or can even remember it, but there was a major run at the grocery store on water, on canned foods, on propane, on, and people were taking money out of their banks so that they could have it just in case. And they were preparing for the worst. And for those of us that live through Y2K, we realized that very little actually happened. There was really nothing. I didn't experience any change or I didn't need extra water, nor did I need extra propane. And everything just, life for me just went on as normal. But what we learned through that is, is when we have certain knowledge, when we become aware of something, it causes us to respond. So if, if Y2K was true, if it was going to happen that way, then the, the, a proper person would be prepared for it. If Y2K really was going to be as they, all, they said it should be, then those, some of us were going to be prepared and some of us weren't going to be prepared. And I think Jesus here, as he's walking it through Matthew chapter 24, he's doing it in, in a similar way but a little bit different. So Jesus is telling his disciples, this, he has already said, this is the way it is going to be. Now prepare properly. Don't prepare as though you, you don't know what you're preparing for, but prepare as though you know what is going to come. And so this question we're going to look at today is the question that is to you is how prepared are you? How prepared are you for the coming of Christ? Is the things that you're doing, that you're filling your life with, are they in line with what Jesus says you should be doing? And so last week, as we walked through the last part of Matthew chapter 24, we learned that Jesus talks about being prepared. He says, be prepared because my return will be sudden. He gives us two illustrations and a parable last week that talks about his sudden return. It says it can happen at any moment, so be watchful. So last week we learned, basically, we should live as though Jesus is coming back today. So if Jesus is coming back today, we should live in light of that, and that should change what we do, it should change what we think, it should change where we put our time, our resources, and all of ourselves. If Jesus can return at any moment, we should be ready. But then we began looking, we looked at one of the parables where Jesus talks about a prolonged waiting. He says in, in one parable, in the two parables we're going to look at today, he says, there, there, it may be that even though Jesus can come at any moment, you may find that Jesus' coming is delayed. So even though we should live as though Jesus can return at any moment, what we're going to see today is that we should plan as though he's not coming back for 100 years. So be prepared. Last week we said be prepared and remain faithful. While our master is away, we should provide proper care for that which he has given us. We saw that at the end of chapter 24. But today we're going to begin looking at chapter 25, and we're going to look at two parables, and he's going to show us different ways to be prepared as we wait for his return. So look with me in chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took their flasks of oil with their, with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go, rather, to the dealer and buy some for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the, bride, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut." Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open up the door to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
Watch, therefore, for you do not need, neither know the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are alive and that you care for us today. So, Father, as we are here under the teaching of your word, we pray that you would draw us close and that you'd speak words of love, speak words of truth, speak words of encouragement unto our souls and unto our hearts. Father, may we not hear these words today as being words of harshness and words of anger, but may we see and hear these words as words of love. And Father, help us to be prepared. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing we're going to see here as we look at uh, just these first 13 verses of chapter 25, Jesus is telling his disciples, be prepared, make sure that you have proper provisions, make sure that you are, you are prepared for what is going to happen. So Jesus begins giving them this parable, and he says that you must be ready in the midst of an unknown time of waiting. So he says, be prepared. And we see here, he gives, uh, he, in this parable, he's going to push up two different types of people. He's going to compare those that are foolish against those that are wise. And so we're going to see that he begins dividing people. He says that all people are either going to fall into one of two camps. They're either going to be foolish or they're going to be wise. And so he says... This And he gives us the example of ten virgins. And he says, these ten virgins, as you see, five of them will be ready and five of them will not be ready. And so we must understand, to fully understand what Jesus is trying to say, we've got to understand the context of this parable. Now, we've got to, to really understand this, we must also understand wedding customs. Now, in the day of Jesus, what would take place in their custom is the, the groom would gather his groomsmen together, and they would hang out in his house, and when they were ready, they would go and they would march over to the bride's house. Then they would gra- gather the bride, and inside of the house there, the wedding ceremony would take place. Then, as the, after the wedding ceremony took place, what would happen is this usually took place at night, is you'd have all the bridegrooms, or not the bridegrooms, all of the virgins, or the ten virgins, or other, other bridesmaids, would take out their lamps, and they would light the way from the bride's house back over to the groom's house so that they could have a celebration. So it's, you have the wedding in one place, and then you have the reception in another place, and the bridesmaids would light the way with their lamps. And so that's kind of what's, what's been taking place here. And so Jesus is saying, so as the groom has left, we say these, these uh, virgins must be ready for the celebration. So they go and they light their lamps. In this parable, we see that Jesus is likening himself or the Christ to the bridegroom. And we see that the virgins here are those that had an invitation. So as we look at the virgins as a whole, they all had an invitation to be a part of this special relationship. They were invited to take part in the wedding ceremony or in the wedding celebration. So they knew the bridegroom was going to come. But we see that some of these followers were prepared and some of the pretenders were not. So I want us to take a few moments in looking at the difference between the two. What, what made some prepared and some not prepared, and some wise and some foolish? So if we look, begin looking at the ten virgins that were prepared, we see that they were prepared and they were wise followers of Christ. They were prepared for the delay. They knew what possibly was to come. We knew, they knew that the bride was going to come or the bridegroom was going to come. They knew there was going to be the celebration, but what they didn't know is how long it was going to be. So as they're preparing, they brought all the provisions that they needed. And we can see that even though they, as they were waiting, they began to be drowsy and they fell asleep. But you know what's amazing about the wise versus the foolish is the wise, or the wise could sleep and rest because they knew that they were properly prepared. 
They didn't have to worry as they were laying their heads at bed and as they were falling asleep. For when that call came at midnight, they were ready. They were prepared to enter into the feast. I believe this is a great example and encouragement to us as believers that we know that Christ is coming, but we also know that as we wait for his return, there's this time in which God doesn't just save us and immediately take us into heaven, but no, God saves us and then he keeps us here for a certain amount of time. And that time is not always easy. The time is not always a joyous time, but it's a time of waiting. It's a time of looking. It's a time of preparing to be with God. And so the believer knows that this journey, though it may be long, I'm, the, the responsible believer is one that is committed to remaining until Christ comes. It's one, the wise followers, one knows that there will be an end and is prepared for it. But we can look and we can see those that were pretend followers or those that were foolish followers. We can see that they had a, a different expectation or they had a different perception of the way Jesus was, or the bride was coming, the bridegroom was coming. And we can see because of their perception and their un, their expectation, it caused them to be unprepared. So they were following, but when the test truly came, we realized that they were unprepared. They weren't ready. They had in their minds that the, the following or preparing for the bridegroom to come meant that all I need to do is just to go out and show up with my lamp and, and then I will be ready. I'll be there. I, I'll have everything that I need. But they didn't realize. The perception was totally misconstrued and they weren't really ready. What we also see is this, when we talk about spiritual preparedness, we can see that spiritual preparedness, when the bridegroom comes, spiritual preparedness cannot be transferred. For we see that when they awoken, when these unprepared virgins awoke and they realized that the bridegroom was here and they looked at their lamps and they said, we're not ready, they realized that they were unprepared and so they go to the ones that were prepared and they said, hey, can we have some of your oil? And they, the, the proper faithful virgin said, no, go into the city. Go buy some of your own so that you can be prepared. For we can't give you ours. So we see there that spiritual preparedness is, is the responsibility of the individual person. That it can't be transferred from someone else. So to see what takes place, that as they, they leave and they go and they get more oil, we see that the bridegroom comes. And he gathers those that are ready. And what was taking place is so once the bridegroom would pass by, if you were staying there with a lamp and you were ready, you would follow the procession and you would go into the, the groom's home and you would be a part of the celebration. But we see the window of opportunity for these foolish followers had passed. When they get their oil and they come back, to the home of the master or they come back to the home of the Lord they knock on the door and they say Lord, master, master we're here, we're ready now we have our lamps and the master opens up the door and he looks in and he says I don't, I don't know who you are and they're cast out they have no part of the celebration they have no part of the festivities they have no part of being with the master I think this is an example of people today they may be near Christ. They have some knowledge of Christ. They know who he is. They know that he is the God of the universe. They know that he is the one that has come to give them life and to, to bring reconciliation between a sinful God and a holy man. Maybe they know all these things, but they haven't truly given their life to him to truly follow him with their whole lives. 
they know of Christ, but they don't know Christ. Maybe they hang around, but they, they never get to the point of truly trusting in Christ for themselves. They, maybe they live their lives saying, hey, I can get right later. I can, I can do something about this later. I can prepare for eternity now, or I can prepare for eternity later. I can live how I want to now, because I know that if I give my life to Christ, it's going to change me. And so I don't want to change me now, so I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. They live in a way of thinking they have plenty of time but they're not really ready because when the time comes, they miss their window of opportunity. I think it's very scary to be in this category. Like to think that you were so close, like you were invited to the wedding. You knew that there was a wedding. You knew it was going to take place. You knew that there were festivities to come, but yet you weren't prepared. Because you really weren't fully trusting. Jesus is not putting it lightly here. He's very clear and he's very direct. He clearly says, some will be allowed to enter and some will not. And the basis of being ready is faith or preparedness in Christ himself. So there are those that are foolish and then there are also those that are wise. Then he goes on and he gives us another example. He goes on to give us another parable. And he says, be prepared in this one because you'll have to give an account. You'll have to give an account for your life and what you do with the life you've been given. So look with me in verse 14. Jesus goes on to say, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them as property. To one he gave five talents, another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he traded five talents and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received one talent went and dug in a ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made you two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and you gather where I do not scatter seed. Then you ought to have listened or invested my money with the bankers And at my coming, I could have at least received my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus says here, be prepared because you will give have to give an account. 
So Jesus moves on to continue to show what we do while we wait. As we wait for Christ to come back, he's encouraging us to be productive. He doesn't just say, just sit around and wait or sit around and waste time, but be busy about being faithful to the work that God has entrusted to us. So we see here that Jesus gives another parable. He says the master, or Jesus himself, has gone on a journey and entrusted some of his property to his servants. We see that he gives talents. Now, talents, there are a total of nine talents that he gives. And it's hard in our modern terms to to compare exactly what that is and what what that means. But the message of what Jesus is saying here is he, to each of these servants, we see that, that the master has given portions of his possessions. He gives them portions more than what they deserved or more than what they could do on their own. He gives them some of their their proportions. And the the proportions that he gives them were based on their capacity and their gifts. But each one is given something and has an expectation that they will be a steward of that which is given. And they'll have to give an account of what they did with that stewardship when Christ returns. So each, each of them was giving something, some of, of the master's possessions to do something with while they wait for the master to return. And we can see that there were two faithful servants in verses 16 and 17. We see that they used their gifts that God had given them and they put it to work. Each doubled the amount that they were given. They were obedient and they followed God. They, they followed and were faithful in their servants. When the master returns, we see that he is pleased with their work. He is pleased with their productivity. And he says this to them. He says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now that, that's something that I think for all true believers, we, we think about our responsibility and our opportunities. we live in obedience to God, that those are some glorious words that we would love to hear our master speak over us when, he, when we have to come and give an account for our lives. I think that's a beautiful way of, of, of hope, of saying, yeah, as a faithful servant, I want the Lord to say this of me, that with what he has given me, that I trusted in him and I gave back and I did with what he gave me, I was faithful and I served him. But I also think there's a passage, a part of this passage that we miss. Whether you were given five talents or two talents, we see that the, the, the blessing was well done, but then he goes on to say, enter into your master's joy benefit of being faithful is we receive the blessing of having the opportunity to enter into the master's joy coming into the place where the lord looks over us for all eternity and he sees us as joy so you live in that place of total acceptance you live in that place of total happiness like, you remember when you were a child and you did something great? Like, you, maybe you had a report card and, and you did really, really well. Maybe the, 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 the progress report showed that you were failing in some classes, but you really, really worked hard. And by the end of the semester, you were able to bring your grades from a D up to a B. And you came and you showed your report card to your parents. And your parents looked at you and they smiled. Like, do you remember that? Did you ever experience something like that? Maybe it wasn't a report card, but your parents were able to look at you and they smiled. Because you brought joy to them. What Jesus is saying here is those, those faithful servants will have the opportunity to enter in to the master's joy. For eternity, the master will look at the servant and the servant will look at the master and there'll be this exuding joy. 
So we see that faithful servants have an opportunity to experience that. But we also see that true followers, as they're, they're living in their lives, they don't compare with others what they have or what they don't have. They don't look around and say, well, you have more than I do, so you're, you have more responsibility. I wish I was more like you. I wish I didn't just have two talents. Instead, I wish I had five talents. Or so the one with five talents is looking at the one with two saying, man, I wish I had two because this is an enormous amount of responsibility. Instead, we don't see that the followers or the faithful servants aren't even comparing what they have or what they don't have. We see that because they were faithful, they received the same master's joy. They received the same blessing. We also see from the faithful servants it wasn't the gifts that they lived toward. They weren't living for the talents. They weren't living for that blessing, but they were living for the master. They were living for the giver of the gifts. So Jesus says there will be faithful servants. Those that will live in the abundance of what God has given them, they will be faithful. They will see that in in the time while they wait for their master, that what they've been given with, they are stewards of that, that it wasn't theirs to begin with, that it was given to them by God himself. So therefore, they must do something with it. Make it work. But then we see the wicked servant. And I want us to learn more of a lesson from a wicked servant than we learn from the faithful servant because we can learn as we walk through what the wicked servant did, we can learn things that imply to us so that we can avoid walking the path of the wicked servant and instead become more faithful. So the wicked servant, instead of, of taking the gift that the master gave them, we see the wicked servant takes the gift and hides it. We also see that even though he took the gift and he hid it, it, he has to also give an account. And through his giving of his account, through sharing with the master why he did what he did, his response is very telling about where his heart is and where his mind is in relationship to the master. See, first of all, we can see that he misinterpreted the gift. There are three misinterpretations that we see that the wicked servant had of the master and these gifts. The first thing we see, that the wicked servant misinterpreted the gift. He misinterpreted the gift and sees the gift of the master not as a blessing, but sees it as a curse or sees this gift as a burden. Why in the world did the master even give me this one thing? Because I know I'm going to have to do something with it. I don't want it. So he receives the one talent and it's not a blessing as the first two. He sees it as a burden. He says, now i got to care for this. There are going to be people that want this. There are going to be people that are coming and try to steal this and take this away. And so I don't know what to do with it. So instead of, of, of investing it or putting it in some, some safe place, I'm going to just bury it. He didn't see it as a good gift. The second thing is we see that the wicked servant misinterpreted the character of the master. Verse 24 The wicked servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. So the servant has some knowledge and the character of the master. He he has some understanding, but only has a partial picture of the character of the master. So he looks at the master and has a distorted picture of the master, and that changes him. So in in essence, he sees the weighing and the judging nature of the master. He knows that the master is one that he'll have to give an account to. He knows because it wasn't his to begin with. He knows that somewhere down the way, the master's going to come back, and he's going to have to give an account. But he sees the master as a cruel judge. 
He doesn't see the master as a just judge, as a good judge, as a righteous judge. He only sees the exactingness of the judge. And he says, I knew you to be a hard man. And he interpreted the master as being a demanding master, a vengeful master, not the master that the good servants saw him as, being a master that is loving and compassionate. The third misinterpretation I I think the wicked servant had was he misinterpreted the ownership of the master. He misinterpreted the ownership of the master. For we see that he makes the statement that the master was reaping where he did not sow and gathering where he did not scatter any seed. So when he heard this or saw this truth or understood this truth about the master, what he saw as the master coming in to other people's property and taking their, their seeds and reaping where he didn't work or taking the ground that wasn't his and gathering all of the production and, and all of that. So he sees this master as being a cruel master of coming in and taking what wasn't his. He didn't realize, as the first two faithful servants did, that all of the fields, all of the land, all of the harvest belongs to the master himself. He didn't see the beautiful blessing and the power of the master. For the first two servants understood that he reaped or he, he, he reaped where he didn't sow. But first two understood the power of this great master. The power of the master is that he can bring about producing where he didn't sow seed. That's great power. That's great beauty. That's enormous opportunity. So we see that the third misinterpreted the ownership of the master. And we can see that these misinterpretations of the master caused the third, pers- the third servant to improperly respond. Instead of running to the master, loving the master, being faithful to the master, these misinterpretations caused alienation, mistrust, and fear. And we see here that the the master even says that this servant was slothful, was lazy. And when we seek to distance ourselves from the great master, that is a recipe for destruction. In the end, this third servant lacked faith. Misinterpretations caused lack of faith, and we see that Jesus responded. And I want to read this response to you, because sometimes we we take the words of God, and we, we know that God is loving, but yet we don't understand the care of God and the way in which we must respond properly. For Jesus says this, but his master, his master answered him and says, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have, re- I would have received what was with my own with interest. But instead, we see that he was wicked and lazy and there was, response, there was a repercussion for that. He would be cast out into the utter darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That third servant should have thought proper understanding. That third servant should have pressed in deeper to know the master. 
And I want us to believe here today that there are many, many people that look at the blessings of God and the hand of God, and they see all that God is, and they've misinterpreted so much so that they are alienating themselves from God. And the beautiful blessing that we have as believers, as we have the opportunity to live a life in faithfulness towards this master, but we also have an opportunity to live a life sharing the greatness of the master, helping people understand that God is a God that is a judge. God is, God will judge the good and the bad. But God is also one that has provided so many ways that we can have peace with God. He has provided his son so that we can have peace with God. So we know that there will be some that will enter into the master's joy, but then there will be some that will enter into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what should our response be? I want us to be aware this morning that each of us will give an account of our lives. We will stand before the great master, the the God of the universe, and we will have to give an account of our lives. And the questions will be, will we be faithful? Will our lives be found faithful in Jesus? Will the standing of our life and the work of our hearts be for and in the power and love of Christ? Or will it be in fear of God in a way? Or will it be in our own power so that we will be utterly destroyed? I think there's a great lesson here that we should learn to be good stewards. We must learn how to trust and exercise faith, especially in light of understanding the ownership of God. God owns everything. Everything that you have, everything that you are, every, all the abilities that you have are not yours to begin with, but they are owned by God and given to you by God. And so therefore, everything that we have, we should exercise faith in light of God's true ownership, but also in light of Christ's impending return. We should be giving everything of ourselves to advance the kingdom of God without holding back. Just think for a moment how life would be different, how your life would be different, how my life would be different if we filtered every, all of our everyday decisions and all of our everyday activities through the lens of continually being reminded that there is an impending sudden return of God and this, the, this return may be delayed. How would that change the way we view ourselves as parents? How would that change the way that we should view ourselves as being a, a faithful worker at the business that we work in? How would it change the way that we view ourselves in our dating relationships? How would it change ourselves in the way that we live with our finances? How would it change everything about us if we knew that Christ is coming back And then when he comes back, he's going to look at the work and he's going to say, did you do this all in me or did you do this all by yourself? And those that did it in Christ will enter into the joy of God. I want to encourage you today. Encourage us today. With the time that God has given us, let us be faithful. Let us continually trust him with what we have. Let us not live in, live in such a way where we say, well, I need this. I need to hold on to this because if something bad happens, I need this. No, if something bad happens, you don't need this, whatever it is that you're holding on to. All you need is Jesus because whether or not you have it or whether or not you don't have the things of this world, if you have Jesus, you have everything. So let us be people that live in that way.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for your words today. Father, help us to be people that respond by being faithful. Father, if we're here today, if there's someone here today that does not know you, as they, they look inside and they realize that their faith of their life or their trust in the life has been in their own abilities, Father, I pray that your words of conviction would be on their hearts and that they would grab someone before they leave this place and ask them, how do I know Jesus? But Father, for those of us that do know you, I pray today that our response would be to look at that which you've given us and that we would be better stewards of that, that we'd be, we would exercise more faith and more trust with that which you've given us and help us to continually, as we wait for your return, continue to balance this. As fear begins to creep in, may we dispel that with more faith and more trust.